when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they might invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Luke chapter 14, 12 through 14. Invite the poor, the blind, the lame, the crippled. It's perfect, says Jesus, brilliant. That way, the only way you can benefit is if God himself sees your sacrifices and says, hey, the world will never bless this guy even though he's doing what's right and what's good and what's beautiful and what's true. So I guess I'll just have to set things right at the end of history when I'm tallying what's what and setting things right. Jesus says, if you do it this way, then you'll be blessed. When exactly is that supposed to happen? When will I be blessed, Lord? He says, 14, 14, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. 14 is seven plus seven, which makes this passage seven, 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 seven. I'm a sucker for that sort of numerical symbolism. It helps me remember things and it's fun and the Lord uses it to kind of wink at me. So you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You know why it's so dang helpful to know what Jesus is saying here? Because Jesus is telling us how to live in such a way that makes sense if there is such a thing. So do you believe that? Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in judgment day? Do you believe in a just God who will be the judge of the living and the dead? Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, if there is no coming resurrection of the dead, then screw it. Don't bother with Jesus. Don't bother with faith. Don't make all these worthless sacrifices. And actually the opposite is true. Not only should you then no longer have to worry about it, but if you have worried about it, then the extent to which you've worried about it, you're an idiot. It's all a waste. And further, if there isn't any resurrection of the righteous at what time you'll be repaid, then you're to be pitied. 1 Corinthians 15, 19, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. If when we're dead, we're just dead, then not only did Jesus die in vain and the apostles preached that he was resurrected in vain and you believe in vain, but also everything you've given to him is in vain and all the temptations you resisted and pleasures you denied yourself were in vain. You kept yourselves unstained from the world in vain. You persevered through painful social rejection. If you've been living the Christian life correctly, you've been making lots of sacrifices. But if it's not true, then the wisdom of the pagan poets, and I would say our contemporaries, is reasonable. You only live once. So eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. I recently watched a video from a man who does voiceover work talking about how he started and grew his business. He said at the beginning he took all manner of small jobs that paid poorly because being paid something is better than being paid nothing. So he took any job, no matter how small, and that got his name out there and 
once his name was out there and he had accumulated a body of work, then both the work and the network began to work for him. He could then afford to begin letting go of his lower paying clients and cultivate his relationship with the higher paying clients until he was making over $300,000 a year, which is great. I'm happy for him. That's great business advice. It's just good business. You cancel those who cannot give you as much and you keep and develop those who can give you the most. And that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is telling us to do in this passage in Luke 14, which is fascinating. If Jesus is right about what's coming next, then the worldly strategy is actually short-sighted and self-defeating. And Jesus' strategy is actually really wise and super advantageous to us. And he knows it because he sees life in light of eternity. He sees here in light of there, but we don't, and we need to. The other day, as I was pulling out onto the road, I was praying, Lord, can you make it about eternity again? Fascinating thing began to happen in the coming days. I began to think of my work as getting people ready to face the judgment seat of Christ. That's my job, get people ready for that. Whereas 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. Paul says it's a fearful reality, but also a hopeful reality to live in light of eternity. And in the fear of the Lord, we are willing to put up with people's reactions to our efforts to help them precisely because we have a master before whom we live. And his report card, his marks on our report card for the semester are all that matters, not their marks on our report card. I would go so far as to say that most of Jesus' teachings crumble without the logic of you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And most of the folly of the world's wisdom crumbles in light of you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Trying to detach Christianity from eschatology is impossible. And so there it is, just a few thoughts about how Jesus' teaching needs to be connected to an eternal perspective in order to make sense. And so perhaps we could end with simply this prayer. God Will you help me see in light of eternity?